Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Bannering the Blue Shirts. My name is Tom Merch Jr. As always, I'm joined by Mike Murphy, and this week we are joined by Shayna Goldman. Uh, Mike and Shayna, say hi. Hi. Hey! So nothing's really happened lately, like we got pretty much nothing to talk about this week, right? I mean, it's been pretty boring in Ranger Town. As bland as can be. It's gonna be a fucking snooze fest, folks. So... Like, you won't see this, obviously. Only, you know, Mike and Shana will see it. But I have the name of this podcast as Everyone Got Fired because pretty much everyone not named Benoit Lair got fired. Um, I mean, me and Mike, we we recorded our last podcast um, early last week, um, you know, thinking, hey, you know, we'll do this um, and the season will end and we'll have time to do uh, what happened and, and all of that. Um, and the Tom Wilson stuff happened and, you know, our Timmy Panarin's hurt and everything. And there's a statement and all that stuff. Um, and then JD and, and Gortz get fired. And then this week Quinn gets fired. So a lot has happened. Um, we really, I don't need to, uh, ramble too much. So I, I'll start with, um, the news that happened first. Um, so I'll ask this to Shana, then Mike, and then I'll give my feedback. Um, the Rangers firing Jod Davidson and Jeff Gordon. I'm interested in what your instant reaction was to that news. And now that some time has passed, do you feel any differently about the move? Shana. Um, so instantly, I mean, it's a shock. The Off the bat, like, the thing is, the timing was a little suspicious. And obviously, we saw different reports. Um, floating around and then it was clarified and whatnot. So, you know, you can believe whatever you want with that. I think I can believe the fact that maybe ownership thought the team was underachieving this season. And I think that shows there wasn't a realistic grasp on what this team was. And I think that was my opinion then. And now the other part of it, um, it's not like I look at Jeff Gordon and go like, oh my God, he got fired. He was this outstanding general manager that's spearheaded a rebuild. I'm like, wow, well, you know, he had the guts to do something in New York that others didn't. I give him credit for that. And he did have a couple slam dunks like Mika Zibanejad and Ryan Strom. But there was a lot of luck along the way and a lot of missteps. So I can't look at it and go, well, the team didn't, you know, obviously it's not like, oh my God, this was like a huge huge horrible mistake by firing Gordon yes you're not letting him finish the process he started but you know there's there's a case to be made either way you could have let him wait but I get I understood then and I understand now that there's a reason why 
they would make this change before he could finish the process because this is such a key part of it. You know, this upcoming season, you want them to be a playoff team. You want to make it work with the timeline that was originally set and certain cap things you have to work out and the ages of players. And, you know, there's so many things that need to come together for a team to be a playoff team and then a contender. So in those ways, I look at it and I'm like, okay, it makes sense now. Three games left in the season is where you know, your red flags go up a couple, you know, a couple more inches and you're like, wait a second, you know, you could have waited. And yes, you wanted to conduct exit interviews. And yes, you have to shift off season mode. It is a little bit curious, especially hours before a game. Maybe if it was after the game, it would be a different story. Like it just felt like a lot of chaos. And I think it was unnecessary to put the players through that for three days after an already like chaotic season. So, um, the, the JD one is the more surprising one than Gordon, obviously, given the nostalgia of him coming back, what he stood for and everything with the franchise and, you know, how one thing connects to the others. But there's stuff behind the scenes we don't know about. There's a lot of context to consider. There's, you know, like there's good and bad with everything. But yeah, so my opinion hasn't changed too much because I, I from the beginning, thought that with Gordon. Um, but yeah, I mean. It's a, it's a crucial year, so I'm not going to, like, sit there and fault them for deciding to make a change now if that was genuinely the reason. But I do think that you, there needs to be, like, realism about where this team was and where they should have been this year. It was weird. I, I, I think everyone was expecting that Quinn was on the hot seat, and I didn't think we would see... Gordon and JD fired like the my first instinct was like wow uh this was definitely connected to George Peros and that whole debacle and then we heard no 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 not connected um and then upon reflection I feel like JD got screwed pretty poor badly here like if you think about how long he was at the helm it was it wasn't even two full seasons and, you know, we had Jeff Gordon, I think it was five years, 10 months, I think it was, because um, Cap Friendly has the, the 10 years of uh, GMs. So you can get a look at what the window was and how many contracts were under his uh, under the umbrella of his reign. And like looking at Gordon, like like Shana said, he had, you know, some hits at some misses. A lot of his hits were, you know, pretty good. And then, you know, he had a lot of trades that were a little underwhelming. I think what is so surprising to me about Jeff Gordon, Jeff Gordon's dismissal specifically is I think he's a GM. A lot of teams would like to have, I think he's average to above average. Um, what stands out the most to me is what Shana pointed out. Like he did get lucky. Like you think about two lotteries, you think about, you know, Artemi Panarin people said, Oh, you know, he had to convince him, you know, they had to, they had to make a whole video uh, for Artemi Panarin, and they, you know, they had to take less money. You know, instead of twelve million, he took eleven point six or whatever the hell. Like, I, okay, I know that it it didn't just fall into his lap, but like Adam Fox trade, Panarin, the lotteries, um, a lot of things broke Jeff Gordon's way, and I think it helped put some distance between him and some of the the moves that were not great he made. The I think a lot about that Brady Shea contract and how he Houdinied himself out of that by trading Shea for a first. Like that Wow. Like if, if Shea was still in the books here with the pipeline of D that are here, it would be 
pretty interesting. He's a guy I'm going to pay a lot of attention to. Um, you know, a former Ranger, I'm going to keep a close eye on to see what the Rangers got wrong about him because he was a guy I was all about in terms of his skill set and his tools and everything. But again, the big, like upon like reflection, I think JD got screwed. Um, it's also really interesting to me that we have a 44 year old GM and president. And the last time we had a GM president was Sather. And I know that jury's been here for six years. Uh, he's a hot commodity and all those things, but yeah, I'm not sure I like the one guy, it's his show. Um, and I and I say all that while admitting I like Chris Drury a lot. So I'm very, very curious what happens next with Drury. I mean, we already saw the Ryan Lindgren contract, but also the coaching search. But I know we're going to get to that later. Tom, how did you feel? Tell me about your feelings. So when I saw that day... Um, I think it was Vince. He had tweeted that um, something, how the Rangers media availability had gotten pushed back, um, you know, and I'm saying to myself, okay, I wonder what's going on. The, the fact is, um, you know, it's a couple, couple games left in the season, you know, was there maybe like a, a COVID flare up or maybe someone else is hurt or, you know, something like that. And I, I'm thinking to myself, you know, what could this be? As time goes on, times goes on. And I'm literally walking from my desk at work. Um, I go down the stairs, I go out to my car, and then I look at my phone and I see breaking news. Uh, Jeff Gorton and John Davidson get fired. And then I got out of my car, I walked back into the building, back to my desk, and it's like, all right, let's, let's get to work here. Um, so my instant reaction was... And what I, I what I thought, and, and it's sort of been um, reported a little bit over the past few days. Although I know, like JD is sort of trying to deny that this is what happened. Um, my initial thought was Dolan wanted Jeff Gorton fired, um, and JD says no, so the lot goes out um, at the same time. Um, so thinking about it is in, in them going as a tandem. It makes sense based on, you know, I can see what JD would, um, he would stick up for his guy and he would obviously defend the process. And he was very all about patience, patience, patience. And I think that the Rangers have been patient and I think the Rangers have um, been progressing the right way. I think it, you can say that they've been a little slow in some respects. You can say, um, that this summer was going to be crucial. And I think that if you didn't fire the two of them, then, you know, Quinn is someone that you will evaluate. And it's just seemed based on what we've heard and, and, you know, and everything that's happened, like they were going to make moves and this was going to be the summer because you look at all the buyouts and how the money goes down from like 14 million to two. Um, so I was shocked at the time. I've now come to understand you know, I can see why things have happened. And I know that people in other markets have said like, well, they were trying to distance themselves from the statement. And um, in, a, in a sense, like if you're not fully on board with something like that, and especially it's your best player, um, I can see how an owner would get mad. And, you know, the whole 
the thing that they're trying to do is they want to have this united front, this united team. And if they weren't behind it, then I, I'm kind of okay with them going in a different direction. It's like, all right, you know, you don't fully believe in in this, um, then out you go. So um, to Mike's point, it is interesting to have Drury as one guy doing two jobs. But I think I'm kind of okay with that for now because I think what they need to do going forward you really just one want one guy with his hand on the wheel. Like, even though we all know that, you know, Sather is there as air quotes advisor. And obviously Dolan is now more um, invested in paying attention to this team, but I'm kind of okay with jury holding one job. What I'm more interested to see is who is he going to put in the front office around him? Like obviously an assistant general manager. Um, I wonder if they were, you're going to see a new head of North American scouting because Chris Morehouse is the current uh, head of North Ma- North American scouting. Was brought in by JD as his son-in-law. Um, you know, there's no reason he has to leave, but you know, Jury might want to have his own guys or gals. You know, whoever he wants to install in the front office. So, um, I-, I think that now seeing that, and we'll get to to Quinn next. Um, they cleaned house completely. It really is a blank slate, and in some respects, it's a blank slate that we didn't see before because JD came in, um, Gorton was still around, but you really didn't see anything change uh, with with the team. Like you didn't see um, a major overhaul in scouting. You didn't really see a major overhaul in like assistant general managers or anything like that. It's a lot of people who were holdovers of Sather or contemporaries of Gorton and stuff like that. So this is an opportunity um, to maybe go in a different direction with you know analytics and, and you know advanced scouting and other things of that nature. So um, I was surprised when it happened. As time has gone on, I can understand the move and. You know, I, I think um, the most important thing now is now that they've made the moves they've made is is getting uh, a new head coach. Um, so, Mike, I I don't but, think you know, based on what we've talked about before, like you you wouldn't say that you're surprised that Quinn was let go. No, um, I talked about this a little bit on uh, on TSN Edmonton twelve sixty, where like Quinn. Was his whole thing was he was supposed to be, you know, the guy you can trust with prospects and, um, you know, a good college coach that had you know some experience in the AHL and all those things, and you know I think, I, I was kind of like okay well it's inter- he was an interesting choice when he first joined the Rangers and then, over the past couple of years. He did a lot of things that just generally disappointed me. Um, And this past season, I think one of the things that I underline and ring, you know, rub my temples about is the way he used the kids, uh, in particular Lafreniere, like the first overall pick. Uh, Not finishing the season with a power play point is kind of, I don't know bizarre uh historically low ice time for him and you know the falling in love with colin blackwell is not i don't hold that against anyone but leaning on him 
like he leaned on Jesper Faust when he shouldn't have. Repeating that mistake and not being a guy who let you got to let the kids fail uh, if they're going to grow. You have to put them in a position to, you know, stick out like a sore thumb on a line with established established NHLers if you want them to succeed. You don't have to throw them to the wolves every night, but you really you can't just say we're going to stick with Colin Blackwell and his twenty percent shooting. I should say Team USA's Colin Blackwell, by the way. But uh, yeah, I'm not surprised that that Quinn is gone. I think it was the right decision. Um, to look at someone else, but the degree to which that was the right decision, we're going to find out by who they look at next uh, to to step behind the bench. And obviously, the big thing here is like it's a clean house. I mean, Benoit Allaire is bulletproof and is never going to go anywhere, so it's not surprising he sticks around. And you know, the skills coach also stuck around. But this is, you know, Jacques Martin did a good job. A really good job if you look at the underlying numbers with the Rangers defense. And he got shit can too, which is just, I mean, that's the business. You know, you hear it from coaches all the time, including from Quinn. You know, that's the business they're in. But it was, you know, it, it was a move I think some of us expected, but it just is a little more uh, jarring that it comes, you know, <laughs> with. I'm sure he knew with those last three games of the season after JD and Gordon got uh shit can that, you know, his days were numbered. Um, it made me reflect on when he was looking at a, a goal that was being reviewed that he thought, I think there might've been goaltending interference on Keith Kincaid. And he just, once he saw it for like half a second on the tablet, he just gestured to center ice with just drop the puck, just get this over with. Um, and I feel like that's kind of a good, a good final memory in my head of David Quinn as head coach of the Rangers. So Shanna, I know you wrote a story um, about Quinn for the athletic and, you know, um, your thoughts more so on where I don't think you were surprised by the move either, but in terms of where the team goes next, like, do you have initial thoughts to like Mike said, it's crucial this next hire and we're going to learn a lot based on the direction that they go. Um, you know, it's no surprise like who I'm looking for. Um, I wrote about Gerard Gallant uh, on banter um, today. Um, so if you haven't checked it out, I'd appreciate it if you do, but Shana, your thoughts on the direction you think they should go next or the direction you think that they will go in next. So I think, I think it's really tricky. I think it's such an important hire and I think it's easier to go wrong than it is right. And you can look at the decision to let go of Martin like we were just discussing. I'm like, yeah, he did a lot of good with the team that desperately needed it. Um, and for you can make every argument for him to stay on. And in a way, it's a disservice to him because he doesn't get a chance to look for another job if a new coach comes in in two months and you know he's behind the ball then when he deserves a better opportunity. And then on the other hand, you go... Well, David Quinn did inherit an assistant coach and look how it went. You know, maybe it is a little bit more awkward to get rid of them after they stayed on for your tenure instead of finding another job sooner. It's a little awkward going, well, the general manager thought that he would be best staying in this position and I happen to disagree. Like, you know, there there's some ways that you can make waves doing that too. And, you know, maybe he didn't want to stay either given the situation. Like there's so many different factors that could go into it. So going with a clean slate, Open, you know, it, it takes away some of that, which isn't a bad thing, even though he did a lot of good. And, you know, I, given 
if I were in the position, I would definitely consider him long-term as, as a defensive coach. But um, it's nice to give someone else the opportunity to actually come in and make, you know, the rest of the bench their own to an extent. Um, so the problem is, like, right now it's being discussed they're going to go for experience. And I, and I understand that. They went for the development coach. This is how it worked out, so on and so forth. There are reasons why Quinn wasn't thought to be the long-term coach when he was hired. He was at least the development coach. And maybe he wouldn't be there when they turned the corner. Maybe he would, depending on how he grew with the team and things like that. You know, like we know coaches have a shelf life and sometimes it expires sooner than it should because of something like, I don't know, a goalie save percentage. And sometimes like, you know, you really do want a new voice behind the bench. Um, It's going to be tricky to find one that, you know, that fits and checks all the boxes, especially when so many teams limit themselves to so few candidates. And that's, that's, that's the whole gist of it right there. Like what coach are you going to be looking at that didn't coach in the NHL in the last two years? You know, those are questions I'd be curious. And in some cases, you you could say, well, Claude Julien was fired unceremoniously in Montreal. He helped that team overperform, and it was their special teams that was the problem, which he didn't have anything to do with, you know? So if he was in the conversation, you're not going to look at him and be like, well, he doesn't deserve it. Like, he's an interesting candidate in ways. Um It'd be nice to see them branch out a little bit. And I don't really know if they'll go the college route again because they just did with Quinn. And, you know, anyone could point to Quinn, Hines, or Montgomery in the last few years and be like, well, maybe college isn't the way to go. Maybe you need more experience. And there's, like, so many different arguments and narratives that can go around with that. It'd be interesting to see them look at coaches from Europe, like maybe someone from, you know, the Swedish Hockey League. I think that would be intriguing and something different. You know, you bring in new ideas and see how it can work, you know. You look for someone with experience, they could have experience and it's just elsewhere. It doesn't have to be NHL experience. There's only so many coaches who can boast that they have that, especially the way so many get rehired. Um, Bruce Boudreaux is an interesting name that's thrown out there. I think that he's a solid coach. I do like Gallant. I think that he's good with younger players. He's a player's coach, which I think is very important. Um, And he's someone that I think that he might be someone that's a little bit tough to work with you know, from a management standpoint, because he is very involved. And I'm sure he does want to say in some things too, is a lot of coaches want, you know, certain players to help fit their needs, fit their roster. But if you can figure out the lines from the start, you know, you could be in a good position to succeed. And he seems like someone that would defend his players. And if there were supposed, you know, it was cited, I forget who reported it, but things about maybe the culture in the locker room. And there were a lot of things that went on this year that, could have shaken that. And if they felt Quinn didn't do a good job, which honestly surprises me, but if that's what ownership felt, maybe Gallant is someone who has that firm hand, but is still a player's coach. And what intrigues me is how he was bringing, you know, he's able to bring together a a group of players from different environments and different everything and make them into this one united front as a team, which obviously Vegas wasn't. And when you have a team that has a lot of turnover, a lot of new faces, that can be something that's pretty important. We don't know how much turnover there's going to be, but every year of the rebuild, there's been, you know, a significant amount. And obviously his fast paced style, I think is one of the best selling points. You want someone who can have an exciting offense and they had this aggressive defense and penalty kill. And there's a lot about that style that I like. I don't think Nablon gets a serious look. I would be intrigued to see him as an assistant coach. I don't think he gets a a head coaching position, but I wouldn't be surprised if they just let him, you know, continue away in Hartford because Hartford's an essential part of the Rangers. And in a few years, obviously that could change and get revisited. Um, I had someone, oh, Travis Green. Travis Green is another one that I think 
if Vancouver doesn't extend him, is definitely worth looking at. He's a very good coach. He's another player's coach. You know, there's so much about him, the way that he, uh, when everything was going on with the return to play, how much he defended his team and stuck by them. And I think that there's a lot there that, you know, is interesting for the Rangers. I don't know if I love his defensive coach in Vancouver, and I think that there should be I, – I don't – I don't – I like when coaches stick with their assistants to an extent. You know, Mike Sullivan and, and John Tortorella worked together for a while. Lane Lambert has gone with Barry Trotz from Nashville, Washington to the Islanders, and it's obviously worked. But the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, he got fired from Nashville after being there for a century. He didn't get fired from Washington. It's not like they're failing in each place. And they're sticking together. They're succeeding everywhere they go and they're sticking together. And you can see everything that they're doing and be encouraged by it. So I think that if you're looking for, you know, you look at Vancouver's defense, you go, you know, maybe green could be the right choice, but maybe you need to look at other assistants. And now, you know, the news, Brad Shaw isn't returning to Columbus. He's someone that he runs an, a great penalty kill. And, you know, he's, he, he's a really interesting coach. And Allison Lucan wrote about him and some of the work that he's done in Columbus, like that's another name that should be in the mix, whether for head coaching or an assistant position. Um, but I think the other thing too, is like, you're going to hear it. The Rangers are going to be in the mix for these coaches and they have the money to throw around. And that's great and wonderful that they actually have the budget that they'll invest in it because not all teams want to, especially if it's like any out-of-pocket costs, but a coach has to want to be here too. And when they hired Quinn, there was the case where a coach didn't want to be in New York because he didn't trust that they were going to stick to the rebuild. And that was Montgomery. And, you know, given everything going on with ownership right now, some coaches might not want a part of that, or some might, you know, there's so many different reasons. They might not want to deal with the expectations or feel that they're on a hot seat the entire time because of it, depending on how involved everything is. Like there are reasons why someone wouldn't want to coach here that I think have to be considered as well. So like, yes, the Rangers have that have money bags they can throw around to bring in whoever they want, but hopefully it's someone who wants to be here equally, not just for that money, you know? That makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I definitely think that there's going to be uh, a lot of buzz over a job like that. Um, Mike, what are your thoughts on, on the latest vacancy for the Rangers? I don't know. It's the, I'm really curious about... Like I like Gallant um, on paper. I I would really like for the team to think kind of outside the box a little bit, but I'm worried that David Quinn was the Rangers, or at least Jeff Gordon's idea of thinking outside the box and doing something a little different. And if everything we've seen and heard from from Drury and from Dolan and, you know, from what Larry Brooks has reported and everything, like I get the feeling they want like tried and true proven um, people behind the bench and in the front office, which is disappointing. But I also, from the Rangers perspective, I can understand it in the context that they just tore everything down and there's all this pressure and, you know, it's time to enter the final phase of, the rebuild, which is this team needs to be in the playoffs next year. That's what all these moves say. And so that's, they probably don't want a coach who hasn't been proven at this level. They probably don't want, you know, a lot of unknown commodities who might have new and different ideas. This probably isn't the time they want to work with stuff that's fun and interesting and cutting edge. 
this is the time they want known commodities. And I think Gallant is a very attractive known commodity. I like Boudreaux. Uh, I think Tortorella coming back here would be a nightmare, but at least an entertaining nightmare. Um, and I know there's been a lot of hubbub about, you know, Brenda Moore and how it's only a handshake and blah, blah, blah. I don't think he's here. I think the Rangers are going to go after the coach they want. And right now, all signs point to that being Gerard Gallant, which I'm fine with. Um, I like the idea of a player's coach. I like that he has a good track record. You know, Tom wrote a really great article, as, as you mentioned, Tom, although he didn't say it was great. I'll say it's great for you about Gallant and what he was able to do in Florida, particularly with their young players like Barkov and Huberdeau. And even, you know, like getting guys like uh, Trocek to develop and things like that. It's it's really interesting to me that you look at what he was able to do there. And also, like, the way he was kind of chased out of Vegas after the success he had there is just, it was always weird to me. And so... Can I add, too, guys... why yeah, he got go fired? Sorry. He was fired from Vegas when the goaltending was terrible for, like, a span of two weeks. Yeah, which like, is not on him. On. Like you mentioned yeah. the, you know, you're, you have struggles, your team is awesome, but even strength, they do everything right. You have a coach who runs the power play, an assistant coach who kind of oversees the power play, and your power play sucks. And that's why you get eliminated from the playoffs for two years in a row. And then you get the axe, even though it's like, the power play wasn't, I mean, I worked with a guy who was in charge of the power play, but that wasn't necessarily on me. Um, but that's the weird thing of coaching is analyzing coaches is really hard. Like assessing them and what their impact is, is like, we're just starting to see some like analytics start to get into coaching impacts. You know, Tom has used that in his work. Shana has used that in his, in her work. And it's really interesting to me that we see this stuff happen, but I feel like what, what happens is the Rangers are going to go for someone they they feel like they know. And I feel like Gallant is, in terms of checking off a bunch of boxes, he's the guy I feel like is a good fit. So a lot can change between now and when they hire, and there's there's really no rush. And that's the other thing that's interesting to me. I also think it's really interesting that you have Drury in the position he's in as you know GM and president. But I, I really, really hope... You know, her name was floated out there for the Florida Panthers job, but I hope they look at Angela Ruggiero for assistant GM because she's a, yeah. kind of a, a rising commodity and widely respected by NHL executives. And I'm not just saying it because representation matters and it would be nice to see a woman in a prominent front office role. I think there's a lot of fun connections there with USA Hockey and Drury. And, you know, there's a lot there where you can say, oh, I don't see why not. Um I don't know that she's my top candidate for the assistant GM um, because after uh, Elliot Friedman reported, she was interested in the Florida Panthers uh, or the Panthers were interested in interviewing her for the GM role. And she said she wanted some time to think about it. Um, she made it clear that, you know, she would be interested in her front office role and she's done a lot of successful stuff off the ice and is still very much engaged and involved in hockey. And, it would be nice to see something different, um, especially if you can put someone in a position like that where they're in the front office side and, you know, you can, it's not even like, I don't want to say it's a risk because I don't consider it to be a risk, but it would be fun to have someone who can offer a different perspective um, because we have kind of the start of a new chapter with Chris Jury and 
if they're going to play it safe behind the bench, I hope they get really smart and cutting edge in the front office, you know, with scouting and analytics and all those things. So what I'll say on that front is I agree. Um, a team like the Rangers certainly should flex, um, you know, their financial muscle in adding as much to the organization that doesn't count against the salary cap because you've seen it with Toronto, um, their analytics department, what they've done with scouting, you name it, like just so many different elements of the organization. And it's, you know, it's taking advantage to the fact that you're a big market team that has, you know, ownership backing and, and resources at your disposal. So, um, Anything that they can do on that front would be uh, most appreciated, and I think that it is an opportunity to go in a different direction. It's an opportunity to um, have an, a bit of a new approach, although I know that Drury said that in theory he did believe in what the Rangers were doing, what Gorton and um, JD were doing, but I definitely think that he's going to look to put his um, his own stamp on things. Um We've talked a lot about the, um, you know, elements of the team that are not the roster. But before um, I ask you about, you know, things involving the roster, I think this is a good spot for an ad break. So we will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. just like that we're back from the break um you know with mike and shana uh, on this edition of bannering the blue shirts um i think we'll start with him just because it is a story that continues to evolve and continues to have so many different layers and something we've talked about before um jack eichel now before David Quinn was fired i know that there was a lot of people that talked about the fact of oh you know um he used to play for him. He might be interested in playing for him again. That was a thing. Um, people have now sort of um, pointed out that, hey, uh, Drury and him had the same agent. And Drury used to play for the Buffalo Sabres and, you know, all of these different things. But the news really is the fact that Jack Eichel had his end of year availability and he pretty much, um, you know, through a uh, through through threw a bunch of fire all over the place and sort of talking about how his relationship with the organization and how he wanted to have neck surgery and all of these different things. So my question to Mike and then Shana after, um, 
What do you think of what Jack Eichel said? Are you concerned at all based on, like, we know the talent he is. We know the potential he could be on this roster. But, Tom, but... Is, isn't Mika Zibanejad better than Jack Eichel? That's what I've been reading. And I don't know about that. I mean, I love, you know, <laughs> Mika Zibanejad. But, like, you know, we got to be a little bit fair. But, um, like, we've obviously talked about this a lot, Mike. But, you know, given what Eichel said and given, you know, the general – mood like do you have any concerns about what it would cost you know any injury things like i'll just shut up like jack eichel what do you think yeah obviously you know i i heard shana talk eichel um on on blue shirts break and like the neck thing makes me worried a lot um i don't have the i know some people are like ripping on him for being like oh you know what sort of attitude is this from a captain? Bah, bah, bah. Like all that stuff is just bullshit to me. Um, you can't tell me <laughs> there's of all the fan bases in the league, like Buffalo fans, I just feel miserable for. Um, and uh, watching what they've had to endure under the Pagulas has just been a goddamn debacle. Um, and I really, really do, you know, sympathize and empathize with them. But um in terms of Eichel, like you, you have to ask if you, you have to ask if you're the Rangers, even if you're not like prepared to put together a package that would pry him away. And I feel like you have to ask because he's a franchise center, and you're the New York Rangers, and uh, you know he's would answer a lot of the team's uh, problems, even if you have to give away a lot of pieces. And the Rangers are in a unique position where they have some younger assets they could give up and part with. And they could kind of live with making a trade that would make them better. If this team wants to be a playoff team next year, and I know Jack Eichel hasn't played any meaningful playoff like Jack Eichel will, would be a big part of getting them there. And that to me is reason enough why I think they would inquire. With all that said, it's a lot of cap space to tie up um, in a small group of players. And I say that with the knowledge that if the Rangers do extend Zibanejad, which I think is what they'll end up doing, we're looking at like an $8 million a year, uh, you know, cap hit for, for Mika's next contract. And that's still cheaper than what Jack Eichel would be. But Jack Eichel's younger. You can have him for potentially longer and his prime longer and all those things. But again, there is that giant red flag with the neck injury. You know, all the years you talked about like where the, the Rangers were sniffing around players like Eric Carlson and stuff and uh, whether or not they were involved in Carlson and, you know, with uh, with him having effectively one leg, it's like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be uh, pursuing that quite so heavily. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting. I think, you know, I know it's something we're going to touch on later, but in many ways, I think it's more interesting than the Matthew Kachuk thing, um, just because... I don't know how many left wingers does this team need. Uh, I like, like on paper, Eichel's very fun. the The problem is the health, and the problem is what it might cost. Because I have a feeling that Buffalo, knowing that this is ugly, and like in terms of how this is, they probably are just disgusted with how this has been handled. And of course, they only have themselves to blame with some of the comments made by Eichel, and I think it was Reinhardt, but like. Uh, their version of damage control here is to get the best possible package they can get back. And 
they probably want the Rangers involved to get in a bidding war with the Kings or whoever else might be inquiring because they need to get a good return for Jack Eichel, which is a reason why I want the Rangers to stay far, far away from it. Yeah, the whole the whole situation just feels very messy. And, like, I honestly don't blame Eichel for it. You know, like, I know it's so easy, everyone, to, like, point the finger at the player. Like, it, it's the same conversation as a player who makes $10 million, maybe underperforming. They're like, oh, my God, you should be playing better and that's what your salary is and it's like yo if I'm a player and someone offers me 10 million dollars I'm taking it I don't care if I have scored 10 goals and I will never live up to it I'm taking it you blame those who give out the contract so here it's the same thing it's like you know you want to fault Jack Eichel for being unhappy with the situation he didn't choose the situation it's just gotten worse and you do get fed up at some point and if you don't I, I you know I would be more concerned if he was just you know, unfeeling about this whole thing, I'd be like, uh, do you care that your team is falling apart, that everything's a mess? Like, he is your captain. He is your best player. He is one of the highest paid players in the league. He should care. And his career, if he feels if it's being jeopardized or it's put in a situation he's uncomfortable with, you know, I get maybe they wanted, oh, we wanted this, you know, conservative approach and didn't want to go in and have neck surgery and things like that. But like, you know, it needs to be a little more collaborative and there there needs to be a little bit more understanding and maybe there needs to be understanding on both sides of it, but it looks like there's communication is- issues and that's just like one small part of it because it just seems like everything's an issue and it's really disappointing how everything's going on in Buffalo. It, it, there's, there's so many things and I don't see a way to make it work with Eichel anymore and I think he deserves you know, a chance to play somewhere else. This isn't just, oh, his team's bad. They're misrun. There's mismanagement. There's miss everything that you're getting to the point you're like, this player needs to go somewhere else. It's just not working. Um, And it really does suck for the fans and it sucks for the other players there. But something's got to give. And I don't don't see it being remedied anytime soon. Um, You look at the number of coaches and general managers that have been there in the last, you know, 10 years, and you're like, my God. Like, get it together. Um, my concern with Eichel, there's going to be concern about a neck injury. There should be concern about any injury. Um, if you can, you know, understand what the injury is and get a good prognosis on it and understand it, I don't blame any team for wanting to maybe get that evaluated before doing anything. You know, this is like a big deal. Sure. But, like, I, I, w- I would think you'd be fine. If, if the team felt that they don't need to get in a bidding war because of that, Sure. If they think that should keep them away from Eichel, period, then I think that they aren't, you know, that's a disservice to themselves. Um, the bidding war aspect is the tricky part of it because you don't know if Chris Jerry is going to be like, well, I need, you know, it's tough. He's in his first year and look at all the changes. If he doesn't do something drastic and he doesn't go after Eichel, if the opportunity presents itself, does he look like a weak general manager? But, you know, what if he just doesn't want to get in a bidding war? And what if their price is ridiculous or there is no negotiating? There's like so many things that I think have to be considered too. Like there's going to be internal pressures. There's going to be external pressures. Um, the Rangers should kick the tires on Eichel every single chance they should get. I think the Kings have more assets to give up. I think mm-hmm. the Rangers have to be extremely smart with the assets they're willing to give up because you don't want to create a hole somewhere else. But I think it's very hard to move a player of Eichel's car- uh caliber and come out the winner if you're buffalo i think it's much easier to fleece them 
than anything else. And we've seen a lot of trades go on with big name players in recent years that are just imbalanced, like Mark Stone or, I don't know, Taylor Hall. And that was a deal with Buffalo. So with that in mind, there's more pressure for Buffalo to do more. Um, Because Benjamin's a great player. Oh, sorry. I also, I want to say quickly, I'm not sure I want the Jack Eichel trade to be Chris Jury's first trade. Yeah, I think (laughs) that's that's fair. Another thing I I wanted to add, but like I found myself nodding along with you like, yeah, that's a good point. And like a lot of the big blockbuster trades where it's a package, like a package deal to land, you know, essentially a franchise player. You know, we see it's hard to get a good return. Um, And, you know, I do feel like Buffalo will, will be you know, trying to get the best thing they can possibly get. But I also thought, you know, think about well, like what, like what Ottawa got for, for Stone and like what Ottawa got for, for Carlson to some extent too. It's like, yeah. Some general easy. managers are just bad too. Yeah. Some general managers are just not very good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the Sabres are not going to get a great return for Eichel. And I kind of feel like every team that is interested in him has sort of, internally saying themselves like you know we're gonna kick the tires we're gonna talk we're gonna let it get to the point where you know um things are getting leaked to insiders and like you already see it like i think uh frank saravalli um you know was on i think uh buffalo radio and he's talking about how the kings like you know it doesn't think like they're going to consider like quentin byfield or uh as someone that they would give up and um you know, starting listing off these secondary um, prospects and stuff. And I think you're going to see a lot of teams do that because um, no one's going to want to blink first and no one's going to want to get into a situation where they're poking the bear in a sense of like, oh man, there could be a bidding war. So I think it's going to get slow walked. And um, my thoughts on Eichel, I think he's a really talented center. Um, someone who could certainly help the team. The thing that I keep in the back of my head is that the Rangers are, you know, they're doing this thing where they're so deep at wing. Is it a situation where they maybe make a minor move for a center now, see how the wingers uh, continue on developing, um, and, you know, maybe even they bring in another good winger, like they move people out to create room for a Matthew Kachuk and then see, OK, next summer, what centers might be available. And um, I was only thinking about this after I wrote the story. But like if you're hiring Gerard Gallant to be your your uh, your head coach, um, it would be quite interesting if it got to the point where um, Barkov became available and he wanted to test the open market. Like obviously a lot, a lot uh, would need to change between now and then. Um, Obviously they're going into the playoffs against Tampa Bay and the team was a lot better this year than I thought they were going to be. And I remember writing about, you know, the Rangers and Barkov, I think it was last year and, and I had my doubts and how they would be able to build a roster around him. So I think that's certainly something to consider. Um, but um, I definitely think that I don't think the Eichel trade if a, uh, or a hypothetical Eichel trade would be Jury's first move. I, I think it's going to be about maybe clearing the decks a little bit, maybe taking some of you know players that don't quite fit into the picture and making little swaps here or there um but you mentioned Kachuk Mike um 
Like, I understand the concept of, you know, how many wingers are the Rangers going to have. Um, but do you think, like, a player of that mold who has some skill but is, a you know, a very, you know, like, the, the thing that they're using is, like, they need more will players. Um, <laughs> like, w- would you agree with that, like, assessment? Or really it's just the best players are the best players regardless, and that's who you want on your team? I know, like, I think Brooks was quick to point out in his article, like, oh, the Islanders, like, beat the shit out of the Rangers because they're a more physical team. And, like, I also think the Islanders were a better coached team. And I think that mattered a lot more than the, the, in terms of the personnel and whether or not they had more guys who were willing to finish a check or had more guys with size or grit. Like, I don't think Matt Martin is the reason they won. Um, I think, like, guys like Matt Barzal had a lot to do with it and... You know, Bavillier has become a Rangers killer, which is great for everyone. But um, I don't know. Like, I like Matthew Kachuk, even though he is uh, an insufferable piece of shit on the ice. Um, Not a dirty player necessarily, but a player who you really just, you know, you just detest when he's playing your team. And uh, I think he would be attractive because of his skill set. Not like, and I like the idea that he, you know, piss people off and and give the rangers opportunities and you know i like the sort of hockey player he is but i don't think they they need to address the whole skill will thing i think that's overplayed to some extent um that's just my take on it i think what you know what do you need is you need a team that generates higher quality scoring chances in the opposition with more regularity and you put yourself in a position to score more goals and prevent uh, more goals. And that is how you'll win hockey games. Um, are there intangibles that factor into things? Because hockey is a game of chaos, and we often look to explain that chaos by pointing to things like, look at that fight and how it changed everything. Like, I know that fights can change the momentum and emotions and things like that happen, and that's why sports is so great, and that's why hockey is so great. But uh, I don't, I'm not sure they need to do that deal. Um, it would be really interesting to me to see what they would do to put together a package that would get a Matthew Kachuk just because, like I said, how many wingers does this team need that are, like, just in terms of, like, the top nine wingers? There's a lot of guys that can be here a very long time, and some of them are going to be here for a very long time. If you told, like, I would be all about this if the Rangers didn't sign that Chris Kreider contract, but they did. So here we are. Yep, I, I'm going to agree. Like, I think the thing with the will over skill thing is I, I think it can be overblown. I'm not saying that you don't need those kinds of players, and Matthew Kachuk is incredibly valuable. I think that you want to have the best players that you can possibly have on a team. I think that you do need a variety of playing styles. You can't have 15 snipers if no one knows how to pass the puck. It helps to have different types of players. I think seeking that out because it feels like the Rangers got their ass kicked in the last couple games, is a little bit overblown. Ryan Langram was out, Jacob Trouba was out, Chris Carter was out. Yes, they probably could have used some help too. No, that help was not Brendan Lemieux. He was not effective at that role this year at all. The last two years, sure, this year, it didn't, like, I'm sorry, he wasn't effective, period. You know, and I'm someone who looked at him and was like, you know what, he could be a really good third-line player. He's actually a good penalty killer when he doesn't put himself in the box with undisciplined penalties. And he could create some offense and, you know, create a little bit of havoc. He took stupid penalties this year, and he really didn't do much of anything else that made him worthwhile in New York. And I know everyone, you know, liked him in theory, sure. 
Can you have another player like that? Of course. Could it be a player like Matthew Kachuk who has a top six ceiling and can do a lot? Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to trade everything, you know, your left arm for it, though, because you feel like your team's ass got kicked a couple times? No. Like, that's not it. I think that you have to, like, strike the right balance, and you have to find room in the lineup, and it might not be a fit unless you move, you know, someone to their off wing or things like that. Like, I think that if you could find someone good for the third line who, like, actually could play that role, by all means. You know, like, I'm not saying don't go after players for toughness. If you can have toughness that doesn't sacrifice skill, if you could have a player like Blake Coleman or Yanni Gord on your team, jump at the chance, of course. But Matthew Kachuk, if you're looking at him for that, you should be looking at him for his skill set. You know, he's he's a super skilled player. It's more than just the rough stuff and him being a pest, and he's great at it. So I just think that can get so easily overblown, and I think you need to, like, really fixate on what you're looking for Matthew Kachuk to do and where he should fit in your lineup, and he should fit in your top six, and it just doesn't seem like that's going to work here because you have Lafreniere and, and Panarin, and you don't, you know, those are the players that belong there, period, the end. So my last question I have for both of you before we wrap up, and it's kind of a loaded question, and if you can't answer it, that's fine. So given that all the assets the Rangers have, and you know, given the needs that they have in order to move to the next level, is there a player, you know, in the league, um, you know, that is reasonably attainable and by reasonably attainable it's like someone who like is either going to be a free agent soon or someone you could see being available in a trade that you think the rangers should go after and the second part of that what is the absolute top asset that this team has that you would be willing to give up in such a move like whether that be like a Kako, a, Lund- a Nils Lundqvist Brain Schneider so on and so forth that's tough I think it would think... be good if they could find a way to trade Chris Kreider's contracts I don't think they'll be able to um... I kind of I'm curious if they can I'm curious if they try to and if they can I feel like you know it's it's a different it's new management i don't know how they look at it for it's new but it's not you know he's been around the team for a while i oh, that's so tough nils lunk was someone like i know a lot of people assume he's gonna get traded he's someone like i really do want to see play in new york i think he's so good and matthew robertson they obviously just drafted but like if i had to choose between lunquist and robertson like i don't know right now i lean lunquist but i it's not like that's such a tough question. I could see a player like Heedle getting moved, though. You know, it, yeah, it feels like, yeah, like, and I think he'll thrive somewhere else. I think it'll be one of those cases where he does so well somewhere else, and I think he has such good potential. But, like, he he, he was blocked on his way to getting it here, and obviously injuries played into it this season. Um, I won't be surprised if a player like Buchanovich got moved. Or, you know, it's I don't think Lindgren's not going anywhere. Fox isn't going anywhere. Lafreniere's not going anywhere. Shesterkin's not going anywhere. I don't think Kako goes. Unless it's like, if they had the opportunity somehow to go, like, I don't even know if I would say for, if I, it, you know, in an Eichel trade, it's so tricky. Like, it really depends on the player. It really depends on the circumstance. And given the fact that Buffalo often doesn't win their trades, I don't know if they would part with the Kako. I think they could be like, no, we're smarter than this. I think Lindgren's development has made Keandre Miller not as essential to be a home run, but I would really hate to move him. But I think he would be a very attractive player 
to package in a deal just because of the like his skill set is so fun his ability to skate his size and like as the season went on you're like oh yeah like Kondre Miller just doesn't make a lot of glaring mistakes and you think about how good he looked from day one and the fact that he made the team and everything he was really like quietly impressive and steady in his rookie season Um, but I do think that you could make a case that you know like Ryan Lindgren's contract and what he's become makes Keandre Miller not quite as essential to the future. Um, with that said, Keandre Miller is one of my favorite players on the team, so I wouldn't want to move him unless, you know, you get something really good. <laughs> but uh, I don't think the Rangers are in any rush to trade Capo Caco. I know he's a he's a player a lot of people are like, I don't know, uh, two years and second overall and... We have all these wingers, and it's also interesting with Booch because he's coming off the contract year, and what he assigned Pavel Buchnevich to, and how much has he earned, and now that he's a you know a two hundred foot player who can kill penalties, all these things, he's made himself like incredibly valuable, and he deserves to get paid. So I hope he does get paid, but it's definitely interesting to me. I, I don't know I like it's a good question, Tom, because it's like it you force me to be uncomfortable. Um which makes you a monster and makes you deserving of ridicule and shame. But I'll say probably Keandre Miller is the player that I covet the most. That would be the first one where I'd be like, all right, well, if it's for a really special deal, it's if it's for a deal, the Rangers can't turn down that drastically makes the team better. And they, you know, they get a, a center, a young center in his prime that is affordable and a deal like that, then yeah, I'd listen to it. But I, it would take a pretty insane deal. I can't even think of a player who who jumps to mind because the first part of the question was a player out there that the Rangers could target. And I don't really, I haven't really even thought of that just because uh, a couple things have happened in Rangers land lately that have made it hard to think about anything else. So, like... I'm of the same mind as you are with Keandre Miller. And part of me wonders, like, obviously the Rangers, they did their, they made a move to move up to draft Miller. And they had insight on who he was and how he was someone who was recently converted to defense. Um, And obviously they gained a lot of experience, you know, or rather knowledge of him this year. And, like, you don't want to base anything off of one year. You don't want to base anything off of, you know, like a pandemic year and and everything. But part of me wonders if the Rangers, and this is not just specific to Miller, if they will use the approach of, hey, you know, um, and again, like, teams know the most information about their prospects. Like, almost like, hey, you know, this is someone who they were a rookie. They were really good. Um, we don't want to give them up, you know, um, but in this deal, we'll make an exception. Like they try that sort of bargaining to keep away from a Kako or, you know, someone like that. Um, the other person who I, I think, and it, again, it's depending on what they do at center. Um, does Heedle become expendable? Do they look to move him because they just don't see a spot for him? Like personally, I'd be interested in the route if they do end up moving Chris Kreider. Um, does Heedle then slide into that on the wing? Uh, do they see him as a winger in here? Like if they move Kreider, does that open a spot for them to acquire a winger? Um, 
But I think the biggest mistake the Rangers could make would be just sort of convincing themselves into a trade this offseason. I think that there's things that they can do. I, I think that they have opportunities to make upgrades. I think they have opportunities to assess what is an extension for Zibanejad going to look like. Is that something that works for them? Uh, is there something that they want to do with Strom? Um, but I, I get a feeling that I, if there's going to be a move, it's going to be Eichel. But I think that, like, yeah, this team is a little bit of a donut where it's you only have, like, some holes in the middle, but you, everything else around you is, you know, pretty plentiful. So um, I think it's going to be interesting off season. I think it's going to be interesting summer. I think we're going to learn the tone of who you know, the team's direction by who they hire as a coach, who they look to bring in. Um, but it's uh, it's just interesting to me that, like, it's typical Ranger fashion, like, you know, a player becomes available, and, oh, what are the Rangers going to give up, or what are the Rangers going to swoop in for? Um, but, yeah, um, before I read the list of uh, patrons, did anyone else have any thoughts or anything that they wanted to say, or? Nothing. I appreciate both of you. Yeah. It's been hard. It's been hard arranging podcasts lately. Um, just we've had an unfortunate like confluence of stuff going on tom and i away from the podcast and the website so i don't know it was very made me very happy to have uh shana on the show it felt like home happy to be here we're thankful to have you uh just like we're very thankful to have all of our patreon supporters um we appreciate the support you give the show and you know the contributions that you provide you know to me and mike and you know uh, help make this podcast a thing um, and that includes people like Adam Clendenning, Adam Nahoek, Aiden Gaspar, Amriel Kistner, Andres Chikagov, Andy White, Bjarne Osterheim, Captain America, Chris Marco Trigiano, Daniel Jazen, Doris from Rego Park, Frank Menino, Jamie Bussell, Jason Silverman, Jeff Owen, Jermaine Francis, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Justin Walsh, Kevin Mead, Kush Tastic, Connell Palatano, Matt Bader, Matthias Olson, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nikolai Hoffman, Patrick Landl, Perennial Powerhouse, Sean, Tall Guy Rob, The Tin Man, Tori from Manhattan, Trevor Kempner. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your support. Um, thank you, everyone, who listens to the podcast, reads the site. Um, we appreciate it. Um, it's going to be an interesting offseason, like we said. Um, you know, plans for the podcast, um, you know, going forward, we're, we're not sure, like, what type of schedule we're going to be on. I would say um, we're going to try to have, you know, weekly podcasts for now but like like mike said things will come up and um as things start to slow down you know we'll we'll pull back a little bit but you know we'll kind of do like what we did um you know when the league went on pause and we'll try and have some fun podcasts and things of things of that nature but um as always we appreciate your understanding um I appreciate you, Mike, for coming on. Appreciate you, hey, Shana. I appreciate you too, Shana. Where can people read your work? Um, people can read my work primarily at the Athletic, and if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see all my stories. So read them. Do you have, and do you have a that. regular podcast? You do. Yes, it's called Too Many Men. Do you have a website with a database, perhaps, of of coaches? called behind the benches i i operate it with this guy named mike and uh we're in the process of updating a lot of things because it's a little bit out of date but uh check it out very soon 
That guy sounds like a real asshole. Well, thanks again, everybody. Oh, fuck uh, you. <laughs> thanks for listening. Have a good one. And uh, I guess, welcome to the Chris Jury era. Here we go. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> welcome to the Chris Jury era, indeed. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.